It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, Missouri football on a bye week. Uh, So we're taking a chance. Both basketball teams open play next weekend or next week. Uh, Mitchell Forty and Gabe DeArmond here. And on the phone with us is head women's basketball coach Robin Pynchon. And coach, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Uh, hanging in, trying to uh, wait for the last of the snow to melt. So, you know, it's, it's <laughs> Halloween. If, uh, I enjoyed the week and a half of fall. Uh, we're ready to go into winter. I um, want to start you just ask uh, if the if the plan for a coach is to tamper expectations a little bit for uh, highly regarded freshmen. I'm not sure that your exhibition games will have done that for your fans. Uh Got a couple of girls who have come in and uh, and played pretty well right off the bat in Haley Frank and Asia Blackwell. For sure, you know um, I think you know you as a coach you you have opportunities to recruit kids and um, you know are are just they have that it factor and I think Haley and Asia um, both remind me of Sophie in regards to wanting that big stage, wanting the bright lights. Um, you know, they don't shy away from, from competition. They don't shy away from, you know, having that pressure on their shoulders. And so, uh, you know, I think you've seen that in those exhibition games. And now you've got to, you know, consider who we're playing to. And obviously um, competition is going to get much tougher as we go into the non-conference and, and into the SEC. But you know, both of those young ladies are they're elite level kids and um, they're not afraid to have the ball in their hand and, they're not afraid of the moment, and those kind of kids are really fun to coach. Robin, you mentioned Sophie Cunningham, obviously, has been a huge part of the program uh, the past four years now, playing in the WNBA and playing in Australia. Um, you know, I, I've heard coaches a lot of times say, you know, you can't replace someone like that just, just with one person. I think you've said that before about Sophie. What what kind of, you know, about her will, will be the toughest thing to, to replace, and how do you go about kind of filling that void? Well, obviously, uh, Sophie's meant so much to our program. It was uh, like a Cinderella story, right, with, uh, a, you know, a young kid growing up right here in Columbia and, and having a chance to live out our dreams and, you know, be on that big stage and elevate our program uh, to heights that it hasn't been to in a long time. And so, um, and, and plus such a just incredible personality, infectious personality that uh, was adored by this community, and she did a great job giving back and uh, making them feel like they're a part of it because they really are. So, you know, not only on the court and her talent, but just her charisma, uh, her leadership, and, and the way she interacted, um, you know, within with, within our fan base is, is pretty special. But, you know, I, I think um, it also allows – uh, I think your other players to spread their wings when um, a, a young lady like that, an All-American, who she needed the ball to be in her hands. I mean, we did the right thing trying to get the ball in her hands. Um, but when, when you graduate a kid like that, I think it opens up opportunities for other kids to really step up and, and understand that, you know, their impact's got to be bigger and they've got to be willing to step to the plate and, and, and by committee, um, you know, we've got to find kids that can step up and, and uh, make up for what we've lost in Sophie and Sierra and Lauren, because all three of them certainly impacted our program. And so what I've seen in the months of June and July and August, September, is, you know, players that maybe hadn't played as big of a role, maybe been more in a role player position, 
have really stepped up and I think elevated their game and expanded their game. And so I think that can be a really positive thing. But at the end of the day, when you bring in, you know, a freshman class like we did, and, and Asia was a top 10 kid in the country, Haley was a top 25 kid in the country, I don't get real caught up in, in those rankings, uh, more about the work ethic, um, but they, they legitimately can play at a high level. They have a great understanding of the game. Um, you know, they're, they can score on three different levels. Uh, you saw some of Asia's passing ability, um, high basketball IQ. You know, those two are going to impact our program immediately and I think make it, all those around them better. I'm interested, Robin, in a coach's take on this. I, I've covered what I would consider to be a couple kind of trans, program-transforming players uh, at Missouri. Brad Smith was the first one in, in football. Um, Conzo talked about kind of his first class with, with guys like Jeremiah and Jonte and all those guys. As I know fans want the immediate, we want to go from okay to great right away. It generally tends to be a little bit more of a building process. So with players like that, and Sophie certainly was was kind of a program-changing player for you, I've always thought the ultimate legacy is determined a few years down the road where maybe Sophie, during her time, you didn't get to a Final Four or win, you know, win an SEC title. But if you do that, you're going to look back at – kind of the building blocks that group set as what allowed it to happen. You know, if if you're in a Final Four in the next three, four years, you're going to look back and say it started because those kids, Sophie and Lauren and Sierra, really, really put the foundation there. Is that is that how you'd look at it? You know what? I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you guys have been doing this for a while, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've, I, um, well, Mitchell's pretty young. I've been around for a minute. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. But I'm I'm going to go back even in those first couple classes and those kids that we were able to recruit that helped us lay our foundation, and and created an environment and a culture that people wanted to be a part of. And and so then the next phase of that is is a player like Sophie and and Sierra. Um, obviously Lauren transferred in and she was a great addition for us. But Sophie and Sierra again were both. Um, you know, top top 30, top 40 kids in the country. Sophie was a top, I, I can't even remember, you know, rankings, but pretty elite-level elite kids. And so, um, and, and what they did is in their time here is every year we just continued to raise the bar and we got better and better and better. But I couldn't agree more because we don't get Asia Blackwell and, and Haley Frank and, and Michael Lithcom and some of those kids if we didn't have those kids before do what they did. And so I am 100% in agreement. Uh, their legacy goes way beyond, way beyond uh, their time here. And, and Sophie played a huge role in, in helping the recruitment of a kid like Asia and, and Haley and being willing to pass that torch and send that message to them and talk about what it felt like and what it meant to her uh, representing her home state and uh, playing here at the University of Missouri. So their legacy definitely goes way beyond their four years as a player here. We've talked a, a fair amount about Sophie, but you also mentioned uh, replacing Sierra Porter and Lauren Aldridge, and specifically with Lauren Aldridge, she she did a lot of uh, running the point guard last year. Akira Levy kind of pitched in there. She's gone as well. Who do you kind of need to, to step up, and what do you look for from the, the point guard position this season? Well, I think our style is going to be different. I think uh, finally we're going to be playing a lot more up-tempo than we have in the past, and and again, I know um, those exhibition games are a small sample size, but we go against our scout team every day, and we've got a pretty darn good scout team uh, made up of 
um, our transfer players along with um, some male um, athletes, um, students here on campus that, that compete pretty hard day in and day out. And so, you know, when I look at uh, the style that we're playing this year that, that carries over from practice, we've got a lot of kids that can really bust out uh, in transition. And so last year the ball went through Lauren a lot. And this year when you see Amber Smith getting a rebound or, or Asia Blackwell or Haley Frank, they handle it well enough that they can start that transition. And so it's a little bit, the style's changed a little bit. And, and now there's certainly going to be times that you've got to get your kids organized in the half court and situational sets. But, um, you know, we're still, we're still kind of looking to see how that evolves. Uh, Jordan Chavis is going to be a kid that's going to get a lot of minutes there. I think she made a big jump from her junior year to her senior year. She's been in the program four years. She understands what that looks like. Uh, but I'm not hesitant to put Asia Blackwell out there as well. I think you know, she's so explosive. She's strong. Um, she's got great court vision. She's going to push the tempo. Um, yeah, I like her at that point position too. And that's something that I didn't anticipate uh, when we recruited her. I saw her, you know, I thought she could could fake the point position, play a little two, three, four, maybe five if we needed her, just like Sophie. Um, but yeah, I really like it when the ball's in her hands in transition. And so, you know, I think we'll have to see how it continues to evolve uh, with time, uh, but I think we definitely have some viable options. I wanted to ask you one more thing uh, regarding Asia and people who have been around. This is how long I've been around. I, wa- I was in school the same time as Asia's dad was playing football here, so I saw Ernest play. But you guys put out a video last week uh, of her getting number 33, which hadn't been worn around your program for a long time. So for fans that maybe didn't see that or or don't know much more than – yeah, Asia's dad played football here. Can you kind of tell people about that and how important it was to her? Yeah, so, you know, it was just it was really neat to be a part of. And so when we recruited Asia, obviously we knew, uh, you know, the family dynamics and with, with Ernest playing here and um, just, you know, how much um, her dad meant to her. And, and that number was something that kind of tied them together. But she also knew that that number was retired. And um, there's a strong possibility, you know, we'd have to figure out a different number for her. And we talked about 32, we talked about 34, and never really had a landing spot, but she knew that wasn't guaranteed. Well, long story short, um, towards the end of last year when Sophie uh, was getting close to breaking the all-time scoring record held by Joni Davis, who happened to be number 33, and that's whose jersey's hanging in the rafters, Joni started reaching out a lot more of just encouragement for Sophie and wanted to get on the phone with her and, you know, tell her to go for it. And at that point, I knew Joni was pretty darn special. I've heard some incredible stories about her, um, but really hadn't had a chance to connect on a deeper level until the end of last season when, when Sophie was getting close. And so, um, you know, usually everybody wants to keep their records, right? But Joni was all about Sophie breaking that record and, and uh, passing the torch to her. And so I knew she was a, a special person. And uh, we just, you know, continued to talk. We talked about our incoming kids slowly but surely over time. We talked about Asia and her story and, and her dad. And um, there was just a time this fall that, you know, Asia had asked about it a couple of times. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to make that ask. And so, you know, I reached out to Joni and I just said, I hope you understand this is coming from a really um, 
pure place in my heart. And I totally understand. I've never asked a question like this. I can't even imagine what it's going to feel like on your end uh, to have somebody ask this. But we've got a young lady, Asia Blackwell, number 33, and, and I went through all the history of it. And um, we were wondering if you would consider um, allowing us to take that that jersey out of retirement. Now, it's always going to be your banner. It's always going to be hanging in the rafters. And before I could even really finish it, she said, yes, absolutely, yes. And so we kept talking. And, and by the end of the conversation, I think, honestly, we were both in tears. She said, um, you know, I can't believe I said yes, but the more I hear this story, I'm like, without a doubt, this is the right thing to do. And I just can't wait to see Asia Blackwell bring that number to life. And I'm so excited that a number can tie uh, the present with the past uh, in the history of our program and, and what that's going to look like. And so she was just over the top. 100% in, um, and it ended up being a really cool story. And we're actually going to bring Joni back. Uh, we're trying to figure out a date. But so many of our fans remember Joni, and, and I've had a handful say that's why we started coming to women's basketball games is because of Joni Davis. And so to be able to bring her back and really honor her and, and recognize her, um, I think it's going to be pretty special as well. But it ended up being a pretty emotional story and, and uh pretty special to be a part of but i think it just tells you what a special lady uh joni davis is and um you know just excited for asia to be able to carry on that legacy yeah really cool how that all uh, came together robin one one player we haven't talked uh, too much about so far is amber smith you mentioned her briefly but she was picked by the media as a preseason all sec member um a, an upperclassman who's going to have a chance to to maybe do some more things uh, with the ball with with the ball in her hands uh, now that sophie is gone so how have you kind of seen her uh, develop uh, in the during the off season and what do you uh, look for out of her this season yeah, you know, she's always been a really good player for us, uh, SEC Freshman of the Year. And, um, you know, as a sophomore and junior, you just saw her get better and better. I think the, the for her is just going to be the consistency piece. So she's always kind of filled a lot of holes and gaps for us. Uh, but I think there's, you know, there's another level uh, when you've got to take the reins. And, and I think she really understands that her leadership's been outstanding. But I just think that consistency and imposing her will uh, on both ends of the court um, is going to be really, really important for us. But she's surrounded by some other really talented players. And I think another kid that um, has made a huge job is Jordan Roundtree. Uh, she's as strong and as explosive uh, and as quick as I've ever seen her. She's playing really confident right now, um, really aggressive on the offensive end. She can get a lot done for us in our transition game. She's been a great rebounder in our practices, and I'm seeing a lot of great things out of her too. So, um, you know, it's just it's it's everyone's going to have to step up a little bit. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago if we looked at this as a rebuilding year, and I kind of got fired up a little bit and uh, said, absolutely not. Um, you know, our goal is to continue to elevate this program and take it to that next level. And it is. It's, in some sense, it's the end of an era uh, because we've talked about Sophie and, and Lauren and Sierra for so long. Um, and everybody wants to know what this is going to look like without them. But anyone that's been out to, to our exhibition games, um, you know, we got a chance to continue to elevate our, our program, and that's expectations haven't changed. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got the toughest non-conference schedule that we've ever had. Um, and uh, SEC, you know, I say this every year, but I think yet again it's better than it's ever been. And so we've got, we've got a lot of work in front of us, but I think we've got some pieces that we can – definitely continue to elevate our program. A couple more minutes with Robin Pinchton, head women's basketball coach, and you mentioned the schedule. Open Tuesday night with Western Illinois. A lot of, 
you know, recognizable names on, on this uh, schedule, Nebraska, some mid-majors that are probably better than people understand, like Green Bay, South Dakota, teams like that. You play North Carolina. Uh, are you happy with how this came together and, and how you think it can get maybe a little bit newer, younger team ready for SEC play, which I, I think you guys were picked ninth. I know that that doesn't probably mean a whole lot to to you in the preseason, but ninth in the SEC is generally NCAA tournament lock as well. Well, and then you throw Princeton in there too. I mean, that's um, it's it's a loaded non-conference schedule. Like I said, by far the toughest we've ever had. And you know, the the thought process behind that is um, you want to try to put yourself in a position not only get to the NCAA tournament, but but host. And we've been close in the past, and we haven't we haven't knocked down that door yet. So uh, that was the thought process, uh, you know, in scheduling. You usually do that a year or a year and a half in advance, and uh, the roster looks a little bit different than we anticipated. But nonetheless, uh, we think we've got the the players that um, can handle it. And so our freshmen are going to have to really, um, I think, grow up in a hurry. They're already very mature kids, but in in regards to the, the preparation, the attention to detail, uh, the mentality that you have to bring night in and night out to put yourself in a position. And a lot of these uh, mid-majors that we're playing, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't understand uh, how talented in the history of those programs, but those are programs that have consistently been in that NCAA tournament. And so you can't show up and play against the name on the chest. Uh, you've got to show up and, and respect everybody and bring your absolute best night in and night out. So, you know, I don't know. Ask me again in January how I felt about it. <laughs> but it's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. I think uh, realistically we're going to hit some bumps in the road um, early on in this non-conference, uh, and we're going to have to work through them and, and get better. And uh, without a doubt, I feel like it's going to prepare us better than it ever has for SEC play. Robin, last question for me, and you kind of touched on this a little earlier, but I wanted to give you a chance to expound on it a little bit. You know, outside the program, I think people look at it and say, you know, they're they're losing Sophie Cunningham, losing Sierra Porter, losing Laura Aldridge. This might be a step back, might be a little more of a rebuilding year. Um, but obviously, as you said, you, you want the progression to, to kind of keep going as far as the, the goals for the program. How do you just address that within your own locker room as far as, you know, the expectations uh, w- without those three players? They know. Uh, there's there's not a lot that, that I need to address. I mean, when we're talking about what we're trying to get done this year, um, you know, people are throwing out goals that I don't know that I've heard since I've been here. And, you know, then we break it down and say, what goes with those kind of goals? And, and what do we have to do on a daily basis to, to get ourselves in that position? And, um, I, you know, our players feel a little bit, you know, rankings are rankings. Preseason, it's preseason. No one's going to care about them as soon as we start playing games. But, um, you know, I think they got a little chip on their shoulder. They feel like, hey, uh, Sophie wasn't the only one on the court. You know, we, we contributed as well. And uh, we've got some, you know, four seniors in our program and, and some some freshmen that, um, again, they didn't come here to just show up and be average. They came here to elevate the program. And so um, there's there's no doubt that in that locker room, um, they understand where we're trying to get to and what it's going to take. And, you know, we got to put our money where our mouth is and we got to show up every day and roll up our sleeves and go to work and, and get better and not get deflated by setbacks and adversity because there's going to be some. Uh, but we got to power through it. And um, I do. I think we got a chance to continue to elevate our program. And that's that's what the expectations are.
All right, I want to end with this, uh, back to kind of a scheduling question. A couple weeks ago, Jim Sterk and, and Jeff Long announced that on the men's side, Missouri and Kansas are playing again. You are one of the coaches that, that has been here long enough. You actually played against Kansas before uh, the conference change. Is that something you're interested in bringing back for your program? I think it would be great. I just, I'm so excited, uh, you know, that uh, we're finally talking about scheduling uh, again with them. And I think it's great for our fan bases. Uh, I think it's great for the game. Uh, I think, you know, when you talk about natural rivalries, uh, sometimes we try and force rivalries that aren't there, but that's a natural rivalry. And um, I think, I think it's going to be great. We have not reached out yet, uh, but we will. Um, probably in the next couple of weeks and, you know, see what that looks like for the possibilities that they're open to that, uh, whether it be next year or the year after that. I don't, I don't have an answer on scheduling when that's going to work for both of us, but it's something that we'd absolutely love to do. All right. Well, Robin, really appreciate it. Uh, season opener Tuesday night and uh, best of luck. We'll, uh, we'll be catching up with you throughout the season. Thanks, Robin. Okay. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks for everything you do. All right. Have a good one. Robin Pynchon, women's basketball coach at, Mizzou, again, Tuesday night, Western Illinois. I, I don't think anybody knows what to think of this team. It's it's complete, They lost the best player in program history. It's a, a completely different team, but um, good recruiting class, and it'll be interesting to follow throughout the SEC. Yeah, definitely not devoid of talent. Uh, the, those freshmen that you mentioned, H.A. Blackwell and Haley Frank, are both very talented McDonald's All-American-type talents. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll look a little bit differently. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of an adjustment period after you lose someone who was as ball-dominant as Sophie was. But, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly the confidence is there uh, on Robin's end, you know, talking about potentially taking a step forward and being in line to, to host a tournament game. So uh, really two basketball programs that kind of stood out to me are talking about um, playing differently and and playing more up-tempo and all that. Missouri's men open next week. I know they play next Friday night, but I know they have a game before then, and I should know what (laughs) night it is because, like, I think I have to be there. I I think it's Wednesday. Okay. I don't actually know. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll be there. Uh, At least one of us will be. Yeah, they play Incarnate Word. Uh, at some point. Is that even that's the first, the first game? game? Yeah, that's Incarnate the first Word game. Is that's the first game. Yeah. Northern Kentucky is next Friday night where I will be while you're uh, while you're down in, Georgia, in Atlanta yeah. or Athens or whatever yeah. getting ready for that game. Um, yeah, but no, to, to your point about, uh, yeah, you know, the, the men's program also kind of facing some lower expectations, at least on the outside, um, which I think, you know, the Consul Martin program is definitely okay with. I don't think yeah. he minds uh, operating a little bit out of the spotlight. He might be a little unhappy they weren't picked 14. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and uh, and but but kind of like Robin Pinchon, he's expressed some definite confidence in his team. I mean, he's not been scared to go on the record and say he likes this group. He said when we talked to him last week, you know, if, if, we finish thir- if we're healthy and we finish 13th in the SEC, this is the best conference ever to lace him up. So <laughs> yeah. he, he feels good about his team. Yeah, and uh, – he- Kind of, it feeds into this, and we don't generally spend a lot of time talking about stories other people have written and all that because we figure if you guys want to find them, you'll find them, but we're not here to do commercials for other people. Uh, But Seth Davis did have a story on The Athletic, which, yes, it requires a subscription. Uh, We both have one, so if you want to go get one, Seth Davis, the National College Basketball guy, wrote a a story basically about Missouri in the post-Porter era and – um. You know, I think that's kind of the national narrative about this team is, hey, for uh, for a year and a half or two years, like we started paying attention to them again because these big time kids went there and then 
they're gone, and now nobody's really thinking about them. Uh, it, it's, it was an interesting story that really didn't have anything you and I don't know. It shouldn't have had a, anything that the general fan base didn't know, but there were some candid things in there that, quite frankly, local reporters aren't going to get. Yeah. Um, you get those type of stories when maybe you're not here every day, when you've known Conzo Martin for 20 years, uh, and when they open up. But, look, the the Porter era here was, was not all rainbows and unicorns, and I thought Seth put it well. Like, as far as on the court, it went as poorly as it could have for Missouri. Right, yes. Not, not necessarily through anybody's fault. Yeah. But. Certainly, you know, when, when Michael and Jonte committed, the, not many Missouri fans would have envisioned what happened, obviously. It would have been far worse than the lowest expectations. Yeah. Some Missouri fans actually, I think, predicted it, but yeah. that is just like, yeah. that's the nature they of the They didn't actually believe it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that the interesting thing, you know, that, that people were a little more candid about um, in that story is just kind of, all the stuff that went on behind the scenes and how hard it was to kind of have everyone on the same page, you know, with when Mike gets hurt and, and goes off to Dallas to get a surgery and is doing a lot of his rehab with doctors outside the program. And, you know, Conzo Martin's got his a team in front of him to worry about. He, he certainly, you know, would be interested in, in hearing updates <laughs> on Mike had he known that it was possible he might play again. Um, and, and certainly, you know, some of the social media stuff that went into it didn't help, but, but just that not everyone was always on the same page and, and it's not that it's necessarily anyone's fault, but it's just kind of what, what happens when you have someone who's doing this stuff outside of the program. Cause you know, obviously the head coach is going to, you know, focus on the team in front of him. It is a window into, and I think much more so than in basketball than in football, because football is such a team game and has. Mm-hmm. 40-some-odd kids that are going to play in every game. It is a window into concessions you make to get guys like that in your program and what they possibly can do for you. I, I mean, Seth flat-out said in the story, and we all knew this, like the coaches were often out of the loop. Yeah. They were not informed. Uh, you know, And we said a number of times during that season, there's no point talking about when he's coming back because as of today, like he's not a part of the team. He's right. not there. Yeah, I I think, and, and we talked about this a little on our message board, I think had anybody understood the circus going on behind the scenes, Conzo Martin would have gotten so much more credit for the coaching job he did in year one. Yeah, I thought the, the best line in the story was basically, you know, they they got all of the, the tough things that come along with getting a superstar who's a social media presence, all the, the kind of minor headaches, but they didn't get any of the benefits really on the court. I mean, they sold tickets, which is important. It can't be overlooked. But, but yeah, so and certainly, yeah, I agree that, that you know, the, the job Conzo Martin did, you know, putting that team together and getting them to buy in in his first season and then overcoming some of the behind-the-scenes issues was was certainly very impressive. And, um, yeah. And then year two, year two was a little bit different because – Jonte was not Mike. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as he wasn't the one-and-done, plug-and-play NBA superstar in college. He right. was actually much better when he was able to play than people thought. Obviously, then got hurt. But year two was just – that was just dealing with an injury, which teams do all over the country. Mm-hmm. It's so it, – we've said this since the beginning, though. Year three, it's like year one of the, the program. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the rebuild was delayed at least for 12 months. You saw the first stages of it last year. This is now Conzo's program, and this is when we start to find out and get to make some judgments on what do you have going forward here? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like 
you you mentioned the the post Porter era might seem nationally like you know our time to stop paying attention to Missouri, but this is what you know this, this is, is the, the interesting. This part. is what Conzo has has kind of been working towards. This is now his team. You know he he's stuck with a lot of the, the type of guys that he wants to coach, like the Jeremiah Tillmans, the Drew Smiths, the Javon Pickett's. Um, and yeah, you know now now we can kind of assuming. No devastating injuries occur in the next week, which you never know. Um, but assuming everyone stays healthy, we can kind of judge him on on a full strength team that that he put together. See kind of the fruits of his recruiting, the fruits of his coaching, and and how he's been able to develop these players. You know, a lot of these true sophomores got to play uh, last season. That that should help, and and we'll kind of see the strides they made uh, in the off season. Yeah, and last thing, kind of on this, I I put together just a because this is the type of thing we have to do. Guess <laughs> at how the season is going to go. I think I picked them 19 and 12 in going to the SEC tournament where if they play well, they should get in the tournament. If they flop, they'll probably miss and be in the NIT. I mm-hmm. think that's what this is. I think if things go about the way we expect, I think this is a bubble team and we'll see which side they fall on. Now, the ceiling to me is, hey, things go a little better. They get some breaks. They're like a six seed. The yeah. floor is things go a little worse. They're around 500 and hoping they're in the NIT. Yeah. The couple takeaways I had just from reading that, kind of looking over the schedule and everything is one, uh, they're, they're going to have to to deal with some adversity because early in the conference schedule, it's tough. I mean, like yeah, you could play six games. Are yeah. You could play well and start two and four in conference play. Um, I think that that honestly should be a, a realistic, if not optimistic expectation to start two and four in conference play. Um, so certainly that's going to test the team's medal. Now we saw last year that the Conzo did do a pretty good job of keeping everyone playing hard, despite, you know, some, some losses in conference play. The other thing that the non-conference schedule is deceptively difficult. Um, you know, you don't, I think it's the opposite. Really? I think it looks more difficult than it is. I, I think that I think I don't know. It depends if you're like someone who's who thinks of like Illinois is, has high expectations for them, but that's not a, a gimme game. They they should be better this year. Temple at Temple, not a gimme game. At West Virginia is not a gimme game. You know, at Xavier, I'm, it's basically that they're playing a lot of these good teams away from home and early in the season. I just you don't know. I I think there's they should win definitely. You know, maybe fifty fifty in those games, but those are those are tougher than than to me. They might look. There are also a, a lot of years, though, you would look at at Temple, well, that's a loss. At yeah. Xavier, that's a loss. At West Virginia, that's a lot. Butler, Oklahoma, Stanford, these are – and you don't look at the because I think those teams outside of Xavier maybe aren't as good as they have been sometimes in the past. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, but So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I definitely – with with you where I think that – I mean, a game or two either way could loom, loom relatively large in SEC – tournament standing and NCAA tournament chances. And that's where we're going to find out kind of about, because over the course of a season, like you're going to be able to pick out five plays that either that's why they're in the tournament or that's why they're not. Frankly, last year, Missouri was in a lot of games. Yeah. They failed to make almost all of those plays. Even year one, they failed to make a lot of those plays. So this is when you see guys who have been on the court, like now you expect to make some of those plays. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, basketball season starts again at some point. We'll figure out when it is, um, <laughs> but it is next week, and we will be there. Uh, football on a bye week, they're still playing. Uh, I mean, there are still four games <laughs> left. Uh, I would say this would be the low point of how people feel. Um, I've said this a number of times. Uh, I got a text on Saturday night from a friend who said, Barry Odom is addicted to the hot seat. Like, yeah. this is the third straight year that, 
were having a conversation that it just seemed like at the beginning of the year, there's no way we're going to have to have this conversation. Yeah, and even two weeks ago, it didn't yeah. seem like there was no way. It's 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 pretty wild. Um, and then the, the thing for me is, you know, I just don't really know how to explain it. And I think you're the same way yeah. where you say that something almost had to have happened. I mean... You know, the Vanderbilt game was was bad, but I could I felt like I had an explanation. You know, they yes. they saw the the number next to their name. They saw people talking about them being, you know, potentially in the running to win the SEC East. And, and college kids sometimes come out flat when you come out flat on the road. You know, that type of thing can happen. But to have it happen two weeks in a row after you just had that reminder after you know, in typically Barry Odom's teams had bounced back. Well, I just I was pretty baffled, um, especially. You know, just I mean, some of the same offensive errors and the, some of the play calling. It, it just maybe the the best way I can explain is maybe everyone just kind of panicked. Um, especially, I thought that missed field goal early in the game just kind of killed any offensive momentum. I thought after that they looked defeated, even though it was still zero zero. But yeah, yeah it was just I, I I'm at a loss kind of to. Explain I mean, the it. weird thing is it's really only half the team. Right. Nick Bolton's still all over the place. Yeah. They still are aggressive, overly aggressive on defense, but. Yeah. You kind of touched on what my main takeaway from that game was. I watched that game on TV, and Lynn Bowden looked like he was having the time of his life. Yeah. He's out there in a monsoon, and there is nothing he would rather be doing. He is jumping all over, smiling, getting his team fired up. And Missouri just looked so sad to be on the field right. while it was yeah. raining. Like, I, I, who, who on this team is going to say, guys, like, we're playing a game. Let's yeah. go. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think one, you know, I think a lot of times, especially in a road game, when you get, like, bad weather like that, it's a little bit of a sleepy atmosphere. It's hard to generate your own energy, and I think this team's clearly struggled with that. that yeah. That's kind of part of the issue on the road. And also, yeah, you know, if they start to kind of – if they're they're in some sort of a, you know, a panicky mindset where, you know, all of a sudden this game against Kentucky, we can't lose this, we haven't beat them before, and, you know, you start to let that creep in, especially after, you know, you miss a field goal, like, here we go again, then, then – you, yeah, you, you just kind of lose your edge. And, and like you said, I thought Kentucky definitely, I mean, had way more energy and intensity. Yep. It wasn't even close. Yeah. I mean, Lynn Bowden alone had more energy than Missouri's entire roster. So let's just kind of wrap it up with this. There are four games left. Yeah. Oh, it, look, we can't predict. Who knows? They could lose by 40 <laughs> at Georgia, and, and it could be a great game. I have right. no idea. But let's just go in order of likelihood. There are five possible outcomes. 4-0, mm -hmm. 3-1, 2-2, 1-3, 0-4. Yeah. Like, Put those in order of likelihood what you think happens in the last four games. Uh, see, that's it's it's tough because, you know, two weeks ago I never would have predicted what just happened. So right. so who knows? And it's completely a guess. Yeah, and you know, Barry Adams teams have done well in November. I'll give him that. I think I'll guess I'll say that most likely is two and two. Although yeah. I think one and three is right. I think one I, and three and two I think that Tennessee game's a true toss up at this point. I think two and two is the most likely but I think one and three is more likely than three and Absolutely, one. Absolutely, yes. And I think zero oh and four is more likely than four and zero. Oh. Yes, yes. Although I, I agree don't with think all of that. either of those are very likely. Right. No, I think Arkansas is too, ter too terrible. I but. mean, he, we've, I've posted this a few times, but Chad Morris could be the first coach in SEC history to lose his first sixteen league. Yeah, games. that's that's incredible. Um, so yeah, I I think. I think I'll, I would say two and two slightly more likely. I, I think that Tennessee game, though, is now looming really large. I mean, that's yeah. such a huge game. Just seven and five feels obviously better than six and six. No, no one's going to be thrilled with this season, you know. Unless, but at seven and five, but, he's yeah. coming back. Absolutely, yes. And and to lose to lose at home to Tennessee would, yeah, that would be very difficult to stomach, um, especially because an Arkansas win really doesn't salvage any momentum because, right. like we just said, they're terrible. Yeah, because let's say you lose that Tennessee game, then you're probably five and six. Riding five straight losses, 
going to play at Arkansas in front of like 14,000 fans the day after Thanksgiving. And, oh, by the way, it's very possible by then you've been told even if you win this game, you don't get to go play in the, you know, Memorial Weed Eater Bowl or whatever. (laughs) The Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, so, so, I mean, if they've lost – if they lose that Tennessee game and it's their fifth straight loss – I may very well pick them to lose dark and saw. And yeah. at that point, yeah, no, at ooh. that point, it's tough to salvage, you know, much of anything, anything going into next season. So yeah, you know, I I think it's it's too early to to really you know talk I, about making staff changes just because there's no, who knows what's going to happen in the these season. last four games. Yeah, it's a third of the season. I mean, you know, the, those last two games, no one could have seen that coming. So who knows? But. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. No one, like you said, no one would have expected this even two weeks ago to be having these conversations, uh, and here we are. And we'll we'll kind of, obviously, we'll talk more about Georgia next week, but I, I just, last thing, I, I'm not going to say it's important for Missouri to win this game because there's never been a time during this season where I thought winning that game was very realistic. Yeah. But it is important that they play well. Yeah. You know, that they go down there and look more like the team we saw for five weeks than the one we saw the last two. Yeah, I think especially if the offense could just move the ball a little bit and, and get some points. Like, Maybe make they, a kick They somewhere. need something to build off of offensively. I Right now, they just look so lost. I mean, it's like every time Kelly Bryant dropped back last game, something went wrong. Either he held the ball too long or he threw a pass and it was dropped. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like the – so they need they need some some momentum offensively to build off of. I think just you know find a few things that work and go from there. So by the time we talk to you again, women's basketball will have played a game. Men's basketball will have played a game. Uh, Missouri will be getting ready for Georgia. So we're kind of in that crossover phase where a lot of stuff is going on. Appreciate you listening, and we will be back next Thursday.